Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recorded live. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the... Uh, Tellurid Talk Show podcast recorded live. I have Julie Monroe with me, and I am Chris Meadows. I see we have a couple of guests uh, listening through to the show as it records. Also, welcome everyone. Thanks for joining us. And uh, what interesting events have befallen the ebook world this week? Well, it hasn't actually been a very interesting ebook world week. Going back through the uh, articles on Tellerid, um, it's been kind of slow. I mean, the, well, about the biggest news is Barnes & Noble shutting down their international bookstores, which would be bigger news if Barnes & Noble hadn't been digging their grave for quite some time. Uh-huh. Yeah, I know I haven't seen anything that inspired me to write any articles this week. I feel kind of bad about that. But uh, it does seem like the biggest uh, the biggest thing to hit Tellerid lately was a discussion of whether or not we need to keep our our Tellerid links going and whether they go in the morning or the afternoon. Yes, that was a po- that was a popular topic. Um, part of the reason we we talked about it, David and I, is they are time consuming, and since things are a little shaky right now from a financial perspective um the question was do we do we keep producing original content or we do the links or do we try to figure out a way to do it to do them both and um scaling them back a little bit seemed to be a way to keep them going so that people still had the links that they wanted while still uh-huh. being able to devote some time to original content yeah i kind of feel bad about uh not doing more content this week myself, but I'm going to try to get a handle on that next week. I noticed uh, in stories not covered on Tellerid, I saw that uh, Joe Conrath had another piece on the uh, on the Kindle Unlimited changes that I was considering doing something about. Uh, his what was little... your take on that? It, it, it was not one of my favorites of his posts. I, I, I sort of have this love-hate relationship with Conrad. I have a lot of respect for him, but sometimes his attitude just gets under my skin, and this was one of those got-under-Julie-skin articles. So I was wondering what you thought of it. Well, it does seem a little bit... The whole question-and-answer format does... No offense to uh, Joe and all, but it does seem a little pretentious from time to time, where he makes up stupid questions that he can post snarky answers to. And that was kind of what this one seemed like um, to me. And those are not my favorites of his. I confess I have a soft spot for him fisking people, even though sometimes those do get a little over the top. They're always good for amusement and popping some popcorn. Uh, But, 
the thrust of this seems to be that uh, seems to be that basically uh, that the changes are fair and so on and so forth. And you know, to be honest, I've been uh, thinking maybe I should try banging out some short stories and putting them up on Amazon myself just to see if anybody actually cares enough to read me a dime or two worth of content. I think you should. Um, I learned, unfortunately, this week that I had my books misclassified. My books are urban fantasy. There's not, they're not romance, but I have gay characters, so I classified them as LGBT, which I didn't realize at the time is a subcategory of romance. So my books got swept up in the Scribd um, romance scrubbing, and I had to go back and reclassify them on Smashboards, hopefully to get them up. And I think that's why my sales dropped so dramatically when Kindle Unlimited started, is I was being read primarily by romance readers, and romance readers have made it pretty clear that if they've got an option to read something via subscription or read something via buying it, they're going to read stuff uh, via subscription and buy less, which is a completely rational decision. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that, but since I had my books misclassified, um, I've, I've, I've seen a huge drop in sales, which I thought maybe was Kindle Unlimited related, but wasn't sure why. And now I think I figured it out. So I'm working on a rebranding and a uh, and, and, and changing my metadata to make sure they're not uh, they're not listed as a subcategory of romance anymore. Say I wanted to write a uh, story to put up on Amazon. Is uh, is it basically just as simple as sitting down, banging out the story, and I go to Amazon, and there's somewhere I can upload and post it, and boom, it's available for people to to read? It is pretty much that simple. Um, the um, the more complicated part is having a good cover. I've been take I just finished um, WMG's publishing publishing's cover design class, and. There's both more that goes into cover design and less than I had thought. More in that there's, you know, there's there are some 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 definite rules and things that you need to do. You don't have to follow them blindly, but there are some principles of cover design that I didn't have any idea um, existed. The good part is once you understand those principles, it's pretty straightforward to lay out a good cover. Um, but if you if you have no graphic design background, um, it can be kind of a daunting task. So that's where people tend to get get tripped up is they either uh, put up a really, really crappy cover and then everybody assumes the book's unprofessional um, or they, you know, maybe pay somebody for a cover but it's not not necessarily the right cover. I mean, there's all, I, I, think, I think authors should take a cover design class even if they don't plan to design them themselves just so they can have a better conversation with their cover designers. I think that's probably something I may need to do. I have this book that I'm about ready to publish, uh, a tour, basically a sort of a tourist guide to Indianapolis for people coming to Gen Con, and my only problem is I have a, a photo that I think would look nice on the cover, but and I have a rough idea for a title, but I don't really have any graphic design experience, so I don't know how to go about making a good cover from it. Well, are you, will, are, you willing to, are you willing to be a guinea pig? I actually need to create a few more practice covers, and I'd be happy to, I'd be happy to try to work with a piece of art and see if I can make it work. I will, uh, I will get you more details for that after the show. Uh, maybe I'm, if I do, just sit down and write some short stories. 
I could certainly use some good some cover art for them. I'm sure there's plenty of public domain photos and things out there that would work. But the the um, real problem are, is, is what I mm-hmm. go ahead. The problem comes in terms of of figuring out what to put on them. <laughs> well, that was one of the last that was one of the last videos in the class is the problem of being the cover designer when you're also the writer is you have this vision of maybe the perfect scene um, or the perfect prop. And, and Dean says, you spend hours trying to find that absolutely perfect piece of art and you get frustrated when you can't. And he says, sometimes that perfect piece of art hurts. So, uh, so he says, you've got you've, you've to have that balance between you know, that vision that you have as the writer and, and what you can find that's going to, to sell the book. Uh-huh. And having and ha- now having now having hunted down four pieces of art for four of my books, I know exactly what he's talking about. Um, two of them I'm going to scrap and and start over. Uh, two of them I like the art. I think the art will work. Uh, the other two are like, yeah, no, that was a good idea. Um, he also says, and it makes perfect sense. Never buy the art until you know it works. So you can you work with a comp image, and and then you can uh-huh. you, know, you can play around with it and see if it works. And then after you're like, yes, this is the art, then you actually go buy the real thing. Mm-hmm. So fortunately, I've invested nothing in art yet. Yeah. I suspect that with all the public domain image sources out there, I'll probably end up not investing anything in it either. But uh, I do have a real nice photo that I took for this uh, Indianapolis book. You know, this book is looking, it looks like it's going to come out to be about 70, 75 pages or so, and I'm still up in the air about exactly what to do with it. I mean, do I want to post it for sale only? Do I want to put it on Kindle Unlimited also, et cetera, et cetera? I'm I'm not even 100% positive what cover price I want to put on it for the people who want to buy it. Is it just for this year, or is it applicable to any year? Well, it's intended to be more or less evergreen. I tried to avoid being too specific on pricing and so forth so that people could come in and uh, whenever. Because basically what it is is a uh, sort of of about 25% guide to Gen Con and 75% guide to Indianapolis. I have a couple of chapters on getting ready for Gen Con and suggestions on things to do once you're here. But most of it is talking about all the different places there are around Indianapolis that people might not, not even realize it was there that that they could go could go visit if they have the spare time or restaurants where they might like to try eating that are a little bit off the beaten path that that they just might not know about if there weren't for someone like me local to tell them. Well, I think you've got something there that you should do print on demand. And have some actually at Gen Con to um, to sell on the spot, you know, as you're wandering around and people say, well, where should I go? Well, I've got this great guidebook that I did. Um, it's an interesting idea, fairly- but but then I'd have to do, I'd actually have to have it, I'd actually have to have somebody do the the print page design for it because uh, I was basically with a Kindle there's not much in the way of page design you do you just lay out some seconds and 
and there you go. And, and a large part of it is that I put a lot of of uh, hyperlinks in it to to like Google Maps markers to show people exactly where things are and so forth. That complicates the print-on-demand version, yes. Um, I, though I I am thinking of uh, maybe having a bunch of uh, a bunch of like business card style things printed with uh, a uh, link to the with a some sort of a shortcut link to the version on the Kindle store. If uh, assuming, of course, that I actually get it get it published before Gen Con at the end of this month, I need to go back in and do a couple of things to finish up. I'm still a little iffy on whether or not I should put very many photos in there. Uh, people, some people tell me that photos are are good in terms of images and so forth. But, but then again, this is going to need to be read in black and white on a Kindle, and so it's a little bit... But on the other hand, it's also meant to be read on a tablet where they can tap the link and see exactly where the thing is on the map and so on. So, so there uh, you go. Images, images complicate your layout a little bit, but for what you're mm -hmm. doing, I think you have to have them. You've got to, you've got to have some. You can't make this a text-only book. It wouldn't, uh, uh, it wouldn't do what you want it to do. Mm -hmm. So I'd be, I'd be selective. You know, put in a few to, uh, um, you know, to get the feel across. It will also, the Im images will also increase your file size, which if you go um, $2.99 to $9.99 on Amazon, your download, your, your, the, the cut that they take for the download fee will go up. Yeah, that's that's true. So yeah. listeners, if you're, li if you're listening to us, we're, we're kind of walking through some of the, some of the decision-making that you go through when, uh, when self-publishing a book. Um, if some of you haven't haven't gone through that, um, there's there's a there's a there's a lot involved in the process. It sounds fairly simple. Write a book, put it on Amazon, and and it's done. But to have a professional book that will sell, there's more to it than that. That you and some stuff you need to think about. But again, it's all doable. I mean, some people say, oh well, you know, self publishing is too hard. You know, we have to work with a traditional publisher because they'll do all of these things, and it's true. Um, there's a lot to keep track of, but the nice thing is, as an indie publisher is you've got control. I mean, I realize that my books are misbranded. I have complete control over that. I can go, I'm redoing the covers. I can redo the metadata. I have control to realize the mistakes been made, and I can fix it. If I were working with a traditional publisher and they had misclassified the book or had done a, or done a cover that branded it wrong, I'd kind of be stuck. Uh-huh. And, yeah, I hear that. And I've... I am just kind of halfway afraid that there'll be so much stuff that needs to be done that that I'll never reach a stopping point whereby I'll actually get it in the store by the time that people could buy it before they come to Indianapolis for the convention this month. And of course, you know, I can I mean it I can still have it in the store for when people get ready for next year's, which is also going to be a big part of the draw, but I kind of want to have something in the store that people can actually buy, especially since I'm not employed right now, and I'm, I, know, I don't know I might make enough to buy a steak dinner, I guess, but I'm grasping in the grasping at straws stages, I guess. I'm trying to consider whether there's anything I can do to make me a little money from my writing talent while I'm looking for work, and you know I sudden. I'm just wondering about the idea of just sitting down, writing some short stories, 
putting the short stories up on Amazon and hoping that people read them. Well, you've got another you've got another option. You can you can try to sell the short stories to a magazine, uh, provided you're not selling any more than First American serial rights. And many magazines that's all they're that's all they're buying. Then you get the uh, you get the upfront payment for the uh, for the story, um, and then you can turn around when you know when when the terms when your terms with the, with the magazine are up. Then you turn around and self publish them, and then you can say you know originally published in magazine of fantasy and science fiction you know, uh, November 2015, which gives it a little more credibility. Yeah, but I'm, I'm ha- just having enough, I'm having enough trouble just getting to the point where I can actually write something, let alone uh, the idea of actually trying to sell it to a magazine and wait weeks and months to to see if they want it, only to find out that they don't want it, and so on and so forth. Compared to that, the idea of just writing it, putting it up on Amazon, and making some money from people on the subscriptions reading it is uh, that's a little more appealing because the model that I've always written stuff on before was just write it and put it up somewhere for free and uh, not get any money from it, but enjoy the praise from people who read it and liked it. And that's stuff I still write. I still write uh, stories in that model in my free time even now, and it doesn't seem like as big of a jump to go from doing that to putting it up on Amazon and maybe earning a few pennies for it as it is to writing something on spec, sending it out into the middle of nowhere, waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, and then finally getting a rejection notice and then waiting and waiting again and so on. I... I (laughs) I don't tend to do well with rejection, and uh, at least with uh, something I'm like this. Probably your way to go. Um, I don't. I don't mind rejection, so that's one of the things I'm going to be doing for the rest of the years. Trying. I've got four stories, four short stories begun that I wrote in the depth of writing class that I took from WMG, and now I just need to finish them and turn them into complete stories. And my plan is to try to sell them, and if I can't sell them, I'll self-publish them. And if I do sell them, I'll self-publish them when I when I when I get the rights back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me. I think the first thing I actually need to do is try to write something that's uh, that I can actually sell because much of my writing before has been in settings where there fan fiction and so on, where you, there wasn't really any way anything to do with them. So, speaking of self-publishing, Smashwords is running their um, summer summer sale. Um, if people um, are familiar with Smashwords, it's both a distrib- distribution, uh, so you can publish on Smashwords, and they have a storefront. And as an author, your books can be sent can be sent to Barnes and Noble, iBooks, and the like. And every July, they run a it's a it's a summer winter sale. So it's summer for us in this hemisphere, and winter in the in the other hemisphere, um, and so writers will um, put their books on sale by using coupons. The nice thing about this is right now my books are 50% off, but because it's a coupon code, Amazon doesn't know about it, so they don't suddenly reduce my uh, uh, reduce my price on, on Kindle. So if you're looking for some inexpensive um, books, uh, Smashwords is the place is the place to go. They have a 
they have a special section of the site set up so you can see exactly what's, what's on sale. That's an interesting idea and certainly an, certainly an interesting way of getting around the whole Amazon uh, price matching thing. I wonder if uh, <laughs> I wonder if they're aware that people are doing that. I'm, I'm sure they are. I mean, Mark Coker doesn't—he doesn't hide it. I mean, he—he he, he says up front on on Smashwords, this is what you do, and it—it's okay. You can do this. It won't hurt you with Amazon. I did it last year, and had a for me pretty good pretty good July. Um, the nice thing about this is if you have a series, people tend because they're on sale, people tend to go ahead and get all the books in the series. So I got an email a couple of days ago where someone had bought all three of my books just like that, one purchase. Hmm. Interesting. Now, if I'd really been on top of things, I would have gotten my next book released um, before, but that didn't happen for a lot of reasons. One being I wanted to finish the cover design class and design my own cover. That's actually one of the pieces of art I'm not getting rid of, is the one that's for for the book that I'm about to publish. Right. Uh, one thing I was wondering is, uh, does the, uh, if you're, if you're both selling something and putting it on Kindle Unlimited, does the list price that you list for it for sale affect how much money you get from it if while it's on Kindle Unlimited also? No. Or they have they have they have no relation, which is which is why they made which is one of the reasons they made the change, because people were putting up ninety nine cent short stories, putting them in Kindle Unlimited. So if somebody bought the short story, the writer would get thirty five, I think, cents. If somebody uh, read it through the through Kindle Unlimited, they would get a dollar thirty, a dollar forty, whatever the whatever the payout was for for that month. And that's why the novel writers were getting so unhappy because you know a short story, uh, a ninety nine cent short story, in Kindle Unlimited was getting that writer exactly the same amount as a full length novel that was being sold for four ninety nine, five ninety nine. So with the new pay per page. Um, the short story writer will now get get paid less for that story than the novel um, writer will, assuming that each story is each story is read in its entirety. And if somebody has a 40-page short story and somebody else has a 400-page novel, and the person only read, read 20 pages of the novel, then the short story writer would get paid more if if their if their story were read in its entirety. So yeah, no, the the, the, the price that you set for the book for sale doesn't affect anything about how you get paid under Kindle Unlimited. Are you still there? Did I lose? Oh. oh yeah, I'm sorry. sorry. I I uh, just had a little phone thing. Um, um, I, I, didn't, I didn't see that you had said in chat that you needed me to keep talking. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, just... Uh, Stepping away from the keyboard for just a moment, but I'm I'm still here. Uh, so uh, basically, the uh, price doesn't make any difference in what you get paid. So I could write a story and put it up for uh, put it up for 99 cents, or I could put it up for 2.99. It wouldn't make any difference to what I was getting uh, paid from the Kindle Unlimited. No, although I'd suggest you do it at at least two ninety nine because if somebody does buy it, and this is the kind of thing that somebody might buy because they they might they might see it on Kindle Unlimited, read it for this year, and go that was good, but then cancel Kindle Unlimited um, later in the year, but still want the book. 
I've done that with subscription books. I've, I've read a book on Scribd. I really liked it. I knew it was something that I wanted to have and, and be able to refer to again, so I've turned around and bought it. Uh-huh. It's just that the question on my mind was, uh, I'm not really so good at work writing in the long form. I uh, basically write without an outline, and sometimes it's hard to tell when you start how long you're going to go by the time you're finished. And, you know, it's... Uh, well, even... E- even even my novella, which is eighteen thousand words, I have that at two ninety nine. So if you've got a seventy five, eighty page book, that should be that should be about the same length as as my novella, um, and and I've got that at two ninety nine. Yeah, that's fair. It's just that one of my friends had some stories that were posted that were fairly short that he had at two ninety nine also, and it. This was before Kindle Unlimited kicked off, actually. But, I mean, it was obvious the reason why he was doing it was uh, that that you got that you got the 70% or whatever instead of the 35% at that price point, even though it was uh, a fairly short story for what you get for $2.99. But... Uh, it yeah. depends. It, it really depends on who your readers are. I mean, lots of um, you know, lots of big name authors are doing short stories or novellas in the same universe as their main as their main character, their main storyline, and those tend to be those tend to be up for two ninety nine. And if it's an author that that I'm interested in, um, I get them. I don't. I don't. I mean, I know I'm only getting a short story or a or a novella. But I, I figure you know two ninety nine is not unreasonable for uh, for something that is you know with a character that I like or a, a universe that I like. So, um, uh-huh. out there. yes, there are price conscious readers out there who won't spend more than ninety nine cents for a short story. Definitely get that. But there's there's plenty of people out there who will who will pay more. Um, I'm assuming that these stories done by you know the large publishers at two ninety nine uh, for a novella are not selling no copies. Um, they show up reasonably well in the in you know in the in the Amazon rankings, which usually means they're selling. So somebody's buying them. Yeah, it's just I always feel kinda awkward uh, depending on the story length. It's sometimes it's hard to know what to it's hard to have enough confidence to think your work is worth that much. But of course if you want to make the big money from it, it you're gonna have to go with that kind of price point. The other thing I, I hear about two ninety nine versus ninety nine is if you start at two ninety nine you've got a you've got an opportunity to put something on sale or like Smashwords for example. Um if your story is only ninety nine cents, I think you can only set it for free during the uh during the sale that they're having right now. So last year I didn't put because last year my novella was still ninety nine cents, I didn't put that one on sale. Um, I I only put the two longer books that at the time were three ninety nine on sale, whereas this year uh, I've raised the price on the novella and and all three are on sale. Uh huh. I'm kind so of I'm making, one. I'm I'm making I'm making more when I when I sell the uh, when I sell the novella and I kind of like that. Yeah, I'm starting to wonder. I'm still trying to figure out what I should put what price point I should put my guide on sale for on Amazon. I had originally thought something like 7.99, but that was before I noticed how short it was, and now I'm thinking more like 5.99. Uh, 
basically. Nonfiction, non nonfiction can command a higher price than fiction. Um, yeah. Uh huh. So. And the but the yeah, I could probably I could probably start whatever I start at. I could always lower it later. So it's just I'm a little worried about selling something that short for that much money. Which is my not much longer than the one you're talking about. I sell for five ninety nine, and it sells. Mhm. Yeah. So I guess five ninety nine is where to go then. Uh, and of you course, you can always experiment later. Yeah, and of course, if I put it on Kindle Unlimited and so on, that means that people will also be able to read it without paying more than they're subscribing for it. So that's something too. So, what other stories should we um, should we discuss? If well, any of the guests who are logged in who are logged into chat would like to ask a question, um, please feel free. Last last week we had tons to talk about because the ebook world was busy, and this week I guess everybody was on vacation. Yeah, what's the deal here with, uh, I guess it looks like uh, Scribd is adding more titles from Millen's um, Tor imprint, and it looks like Oyster is getting the same ones? Yes. Um, earlier this year, I think in, this, in January, Macmillan did a pilot program with Scribd and gave them a 1,000 titles to see how it would go. And apparently they were happy because they gave them another thousand. And when I was emailing back and forth with my contact with Scrib, I said, oh, by the way, that means Sigmillan, that's Tor, any of the big fantasy books coming in. And she said, yes, Robert Jordan, uh, Brandon Sanderson. So I was like, I haven't, I haven't had time to look to see if the entire Wheel of Time is there. Um, but um, I'm, I'm assuming at least some of it is there or, we wouldn't, or she wouldn't have said, said Jordan. I'm also hope I'm hoping that some, that Brandon Sanders and Mistborn um, are in there as well. There's some really good titles published by Tor. So I need to, I, yes, I need to sit down and make my scripts um, to read list even longer than it already is, and it's kind of frightening. I don't think I can get through what I already have in my library in the next six months. I really don't need to be adding more to it. But since it doesn't yeah. cost me anything extra. I figure, why not? Uh-huh. And I see here we have another story from David about, uh, I guess it, there was a uh, a sale on the Amazon Fire phone and uh, something, basically something about, uh, it looks like there was mm -hmm. a sale if you subtracted the Prime membership credit from the price of the phone and so on. It's just telling us that the Fire Phone is selling badly. Um, my guess is they're trying to get some sales out there before the new iPhone comes out because we should we should be having a new iPhone in September. Um, I've been kind of keeping an eye on the iPhone 6s rumors, and I haven't seen I haven't seen much of anything other than the phones will probably get forced touch. Um, and they have apparently increased the number of models that they are putting into production in anticipation of a good of a of a good sales cycle. They were they were short last last time and people had to wait. So it sounds like they're trying to make sure there's enough in production 
that everybody who wants to upgrade when they come out will be able to upgrade. Mm-hmm. I noticed a bit of product placement in one of the TV shows I was watching this week. I think it was the Arrow. They had an actual Amazon Fire phone in that show that was shown taking a picture or something, which was, it just tickled me to see that Amazon logo there on the front of that phone. Oh, that's cool. I've seen Microsoft product placement. I've seen plenty of um, Apple product placement. I I think I've seen a Kindle. Yes, yes, um, Castle. There was an episode of Castle where he was curled up on his couch with a Kindle, um, yeah. which I thought was, like, way cool. Of course, I think uh, the next episode he had an iPad, so it's like, oh, I guess he traded up. Yeah, in in the Arrow, everybody uses Windows tablets, including the kind with the little keyboard that you attach onto the front, which is uh, another amusing bit of product placement. Of course, the most amusing Uh, bit of product placement I've seen involving Microsoft tablets was they they actually got the Japanese anime studio that does Ghost in the Shell to do a Ghost in the Shell short where Major Kusanagi and her squad were running around with Windows mobile tablets. And it was... (laughs) <laughs> uh, it, it uh, just tickled elementary, me. Ele- elementary uses them. And, I mean, at the time, this was like two years ago when the surfaces were so badly received. I was like, um, no, Sherlock, I think, is a little more with it than that. He probably would have been using an iPad instead of a Surface. But Microsoft <laughs> like, paid, paid for the product placement, so Sherlock had to, had to, use, had to use Microsoft products. <laughs> Crazy. So let's see here. What else have we got? Uh, David had something, had a piece about, uh, gee, why can't we use Bluetooth devices with e readers? Which mentioned that piece I wrote about using a Bluetooth mouse with an Android tablet, which I suppose is nice. Uh, that That is, by the way, currently the number one post on the site in terms of traffic. My post about uh, using a Bluetooth mouse with an Android tablet is number one on the site, really? Yep. Yes, it is. And it has been for several months. Crazy. I guess you never can predict what people will will fasten on to. It, it it took it took a while, but it finally replaced my my post on watching Amazon Instant Videos on Android devices. Uh, that was the number one post for a solid nine months, and then as when after Amazon released the the official Amazon Instant Video app that doesn't actually work very well. But it released it. Um, my post started to go down, and your Bluetooth mouse post just interesting. It is uh, strange sometimes what kind of uh, what kind of uh, what catches the search engine's eye. I guess. Well, apparently, a lot of people would like to use Bluetooth mice with their tablets. So you hit a uh-huh. you hit a uh, you hit a chord. Yeah, it's funny. I still regularly use a Bluetooth mouse with my uh with my Nexus uh from time to time. It just uh like when I'm writing stuff on uh Google Docs with my Bluetooth keyboard, 
it can it's more convenient for marking text than tapping and and holding of course where it would really be useful would be like with a windows tablet which they effectively work just like little miniature laptop computers now which is which is crazy and I wouldn't have just a few years ago I wouldn't have predicted it was even possible but now you can get a you can actually get a windows uh 8 windows 10 compatible tablet that it's like somebody somebody put squeezed a laptop computer down into a little tablet and now you can take it with you and use windows stuff in exactly the same way you could on your computer which is just insane really <laughs> So what do you think about Windows 10? Are you signed up to um to get an to get a, you know, to get uh, yeah, it automatically I'm, sent to your computer when it comes out? Uh I I I can't remember whether I have or not, but I actually have been using Windows 10 the uh, preview on my desktop for the last couple of months. It's interesting. It's a little frustrating from time to time and some bits of it still don't work quite right, but it does uh run nicely it runs smoothly when i can get the netflix application to actually work i can actually stream netflix in 5.1 sound which is really nice uh but it uh it has a lot of little interface improvements that that just ways it's it's less annoying than windows 7 was in in some ways uh, other ways it's different and a little tricky to get used to sometimes but a lot of it is is really nice. So for someone who intentionally bought a Windows 7 computer one month before Windows came out because she knew in advance she wasn't going to like Windows 8, um, but is now thinking about 10, is, is, is 7 to 10 going to be a comfortable transition for me, do you think? I mean, obviously I'm going to have to It should be pretty much. It should be pretty much. I mean, I... I I skipped over eight entirely, so I'm not I'm not completely familiar with the ways it's annoyingly different. But in most well, see, of the I didn't, ways, I didn't that, do eight at all. I'm I'm, I'm thinking se- I'm going seven to ten, so I actually don't mm-hmm. care what eight did. Um, yeah, I mean, in most of the ways that count that I know of, uh, uh, ten acts very similar to seven. I mean, there's a a start menu that pops up when I hit the start button. I can I can still use most of the same keyboard shortcuts like Control Shift Escape to bring up the Task Manager. It uh, it's got some interesting little things like task bars on both monitors now, and I mean it, it runs it seems to run about the same as Windows 7. I can even run Windows 10 on my six-year-old laptop. Uh, uh, it's a little little tricky, little buggy, but it it runs at a usable speed, which is I mean, it's it's interesting. How do you think it'll work on a tablet? You know, how do, I mean, and, and have you tried it? Have you tried the preview edition on a tablet-sized device yet? No, I haven't. But uh, but I mean, in a, a lot of ways. Uh, it kind of is like using a tablet on my desktop in some ways because it uses the same applications as tablets do, and uh, and you know, they they have depending on what the application is, some of them have more of a tablet style interface than a desktop style interface, which is interesting. But 
but they seem to work. I keep I keep toying with once tens out, and I'm reasonably sure that it's stable. And I've been using it on my desktop, and hopefully decide that I like it. I've been thinking about getting myself an inexpensive Windows tablet. And uh, I mean, I've done I've done the iPad, I've done Android tablets. Windows tablet is the only tablet um, device uh-huh. I have tried yet. I had and since a, you can now uh, get decent Windows tablets for really low prices. Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, I had I had one for a while and tried it and liked it, but the problem was the the Wi-Fi interface on it was buggy. I could hardly ever get it to connect to Wi-Fi, so finally I just sent it back for a refund. And and it's a pity too because if the Wi-Fi hadn't been buggy, I would have kept it and liked it. It would have made a great substitute laptop, and I'd even be able to do things like Telereed blogging on it because it would run the Windows Live Writer that I would use on my desktop just exactly the same and and attach a Bluetooth keyboard and mouse to it, and I would have, I, it would have been amazing. And once I get a job and start getting some money in again, I might see about looking for some other kind of inexpensive Windows tablet to see if I could... Uh, do that because it would be a lot nicer having a tablet-sized device I could blog on than having this immense laptop I that's currently my only mobile solution. I mean, I yeah, I got rid there, of the lap. I got rid of the laptop years ago when I got my iPad, mm, and I haven't gone back. Yeah, I mean, I if I could find a good Android blogging client, I might that might be. I probably ought to look into that and see if I can find anything for Android that works as well as LiveWriter does for Windows. Uh, that would be an interesting. Um, I've done I've done some research on that front, and the answer is pretty much no. There are there are, yes there are blogging clients, but the the opinion that I've seen and uh, viewers, guests, listeners, whatever the whatever we call it, whatever we're calling you, um, feel free to chime in if you have heard otherwise. But uh, what, I've, what I've seen in my research is that when it comes to blogging clients, LiveWriter really is the, the best one out there, and there's nothing out there that uh, – if, if you're already a LiveWriter user, you're probably going to be disappointed if you try some of the other things. I tried yeah. Blogsy on the iPad for a while. I don't know if Blogsy has an Android version, and I wasn't really happy about it. Mm-hmm. There was a uh, – there was a um... – uh, a, a browserware uh, blogging client that I tried. Uh, I can't remember what it was called. I think I probably uninstalled it from uh, Chrome at some point back when I was trying to uh, reduce the number of extensions I used. But it was something like Fire or something, or Blogfire or something like that, that that seemed to work. Okay, but not as well as Live Rider. Really, very. I I saw an article a few weeks back that that Microsoft might be considering opening sourcing uh, Live Rider. Maybe it was kind of equivocal, but it would be nice if they did because I actually preferred the old version of Live Rider. I don't know why they did this, but. But it seems like they removed many of the keyboard shortcuts I uh, used to use. Like it used to be that Control Shift V would paste uh, unformatted, and now you have to go through you have to go through the menu interface to do, it, and it's really annoys the heck out of me. 
version are you running? Whatever the latest running, one is. I'm running 2011. That's what came on my computer. I don't know if that's hmm. the latest version or if that's one version back. I just run whatever whatever is part of Live Essentials that I download whenever I install Windows. Uh, I didn't so, even have to install anything. It just it was on my computer when I um, when I bought it. I didn't download anything to get it. Yeah, well, uh, I just grab. I just have whatever the, the latest one is. I don't even know how to find what the version is. It it comes up when it when when you load it. It mm. comes up with a splash screen. That's I just I just loaded it and and closed it down again to see what version I was running. Huh. Yeah, I probably <laughs> never paid attention to it really. I'm I'm more of a blog directly in WordPress kind of person. The the only thing I use LiveWriter for is when I have to upload um, under somebody else's ID instead of my own. Mm-hmm. And there is no there is no other client out there that allow that I can find that allows you to upload as un, under a different um, user ID than yourself without logging out and logging back in. That's the thing I like about LiveWriter. I can without logging out or logging in. I can I can upload something for Joanna. I can upload something from a guest writer, and two I could upload something for myself. I never have to I never have to have to play any log in log out games. Mm. So uh, here's an interesting story I happened to cross. It's not exactly ebook related, but it is kind of mobile related, which is that uh, Google. And Google is using Waze to launch a sort of a carpooling service that uh, enables riders and drivers to efficiently match their trips. Not sort of a, uh, not really an Uber-like thing, but a more sort of a thing for people who just happen to be going some one direction who would be able to give other people a lift. And that's and they're they're trying it out in in some cities in Israel apparently. Well, they would probably do really well with that in Washington D.C. because we have our high occupancy vehicle lane, and um, that would right now what people do is they they literally stand out stand or they did I don't know if, I don't know if the police have, have cut down on their ability to do it. The people use it's called slugging, where they basically stand near the entrance to um, one of the highways, and people who want to take HOV but do not have enough people in their car will grab somebody, pick them up, and, uh, and, and, drive, and drive them off so they can get into the, uh, into the HOV lanes. So well, I can see a service an, like that doing really, really well here. That's an interesting new form of hitchhiking. Yeah, I've I never know tried that, it. I, I just know that other people do it. And I, I know they have... Uh, I know there's... I know there's carpool lanes like out in Seattle and so on. I just uh, hadn't really. Uh, it's an interesting thing, but and and uh, I had a client cer- who used to, who used to do that to try to cut down her commute time because it was a lot faster for her to slug with somebody 
than to take the bus to the Pentagon to get on the Metro to get to wherever she was going in Maryland. She was trying to go from Woodbridge to someplace in Maryland. And if you're not familiar with D.C., let's just say that going from Woodbridge to anywhere in Maryland is a very, very long trip. Mm-hmm. That's an, yeah. That is, uh, it's, it's just funny all the ways that uh, mobile technology has changed things. Uh, uh, all aspects of our life, not just reading, but just be the ability to communicate instantaneously with people in other places is, I mean, there were all these, I mean, you used to see shows like Star Trek where people could do that, and they had some ideas of what what things it could do, but it, but it's all they, the they little didn't anticipate all these yeah it's all those little things well today mm-hmm. we were we want we a, a new a Wegmans just opened up fairly near us and that has been like a big event and we've been waiting for a couple of weeks to hope the crowds would die down and we decided hey let's go, let's go check out the new Wegmans today so we went and ate at a restaurant that we knew was near the Wegmans we kind of knew where it was and and as it turned out i was basically right about where it was but i wasn't 100% sure so, you know, my husband just pulled up his pulled up pulled up his phone, did a Google search on, you know, Wegmans Alexandria, and boom, phone navigated us there. I I don't I'm not even uh-huh. I, mean, I was trying to, as we were doing that, I was trying to imagine what would I have done before a cell phone? Um Yeah. I mean I guess I would have printed out the Google map before we left. Gosh, that sounds so last century. Uh huh. I mean, I'm I am so used to these days to taking out my my smartphone and telling it, "Okay, Google," and then oh, my smartphone just woke up when I said that, uh, and then telling it to navigate me, uh huh, telling it navigate me here, there, wherever, and it does so, and it even puts directions on my Pebble wristwatch uh, now. To uh, to oh, get me there. You you've got a pebble. Tell me about your pebble. I keep I keep toying with getting a pebble. It's just one of the first generation ones, so it's I mean it's not exactly what you would call a, a smartwatch in the traditional sense because uh, smartwatches you see these days are basically they'll they'll they just like a secondary screen for your cell phone and do all sorts of things on them. It's not like that. Uh, this is basically just a, a it's just a wristwatch with a few a few extra gimmicks. The main thing it's useful for is echoing notifications to your wrist. So if you get a text message or something from someone, you can check your wrist to see what it is without actually having to uh, take out your phone and see what's going on there. But uh, it's very useful for that. And there's a series of responses you can send to certain messages from your, uh, just by pressing the buttons on your wrist, you can send a pre-selected message like something saying that I'm, I programmed one in that says I'm on a bicycle, I can't reply right now, but I will in a bit, and so on. And apart from that, there are certain applications you can get with it. it you can uh, get it to show what's currently playing on your music player or your podcast or audiobook listening device you can get one that will echo google map directions to your wrist so you can see where 
how far till you need to turn and so on and so forth without having to be staring at your phone all the time, which is a lot safer for bicycling or driving and so forth. And uh it's a, it's actually it's actually safer in the city than than looking at your phone. I mean that's that's mm-hmm. something that I've been told that criminals look for is they look for the person who looks lost um and is looking around and looking at their phone like they're trying to figure out you know what their where their phone's telling them to go. Um uh-huh. so that that's one of those things they they they, they tell us in DC, you know, don't don't do that. It makes you look too much like a tourist and you're you're a target. So I could see where Looking at the looking at your mm-hmm. wrist would be a lot less confusing. Yeah, I mean it's basically just an e-ink screen. Uh, it's not something you can read on because there's there's not enough pixels for that, and there's not really any applications that are good for that. But it's a handy little notification and direction and music head-up display, and it has a battery life of about a week. It's uh, water resistant to 50 meters. It's basically just a handy little secondary screen for your phone that you can you can even pause and start music on it and so on and so forth. It's really, uh, I mean, it's and it's inexpensive too. It's under a hundred dollars, which is a reasonable price for a little watch like that. It's not going. It's not going to show you. I mean, it's not. You're not going to see things like map displays or anything like that on it, but just for simple text messages and uh, textual instructions for where to turn and little things like that, it's it's surprisingly convenient, and you don't have to charge it that often. I mean, some of the smartwatches you can get, they don't even last a whole day between charges, which is, which when you're talking about something like a wristwatch, is just plain stupid. Uh, does it, does this pebble have any kind of step tracking function to it? I, it actually it does actually, though I haven't I haven't used it much myself. Uh, but it does have some kind. Uh, I'm not entirely sure actually what kind of. Uh, well, there's an activity. It uh, you can install activity trackers in it. Apparently, I current. I don't currently have one installed in my watch, but you can you can get them, and it it it'll do things like light up when you flick your wrist, so which is handy for like if you're if you're out after dark and you don't have a hand free, but you want to see what time it is, you can just flick your wrist, and the watch will light up for you. <clears throat> Neat. Um, I got rid of my wristwatch four or five years ago, but I've been wearing a Fitbit. For, for about a year now, mm-hmm. and I've gotten used to having something on my wrist again. But I don't the know. gadget, the gadget mm-hmm. part of me does kind of think, smartwatches, that sounds cool. I don't know if this is quite as as capable as a Fitbit in terms of activity tracking and so forth, but it's uh, a useful little piece of mobile technology. Maybe at some point I'll install an activity tracker and see what kinds of things it can do. But uh, it's uh, it's nice. I'm glad I have it. It's a useful addition to my uh, to my gadget arsenal, I guess you would say. Uh, anyway, we've we've been at this for almost an hour, so it's probably about time to wind down for this week. Uh, 
Uh, any closing thoughts? None on my none on my end, no. Okay. Well, I guess uh, uh, we'll have to see what kind of show we can put together for next week. I understand you're not going to be available for the next few weeks. So, no. Next, uh, next week I have a book signing party I have to go to, and uh, and then I've got some things going on the next two weekends as well. So, yeah, mm-hmm. sorry. I'll be out for three weeks. Yeah. It's possible we may be able to schedule something at some different time, or maybe I will see might be about time to see if we can uh, get a guest in or something. Uh, but uh, at any rate, I'd like to thank you for calling in today, Julie, and uh, hopefully sooner or later we'll have some other people call in who are actually able to speak with us, and, uh, well, we'll see what we can do. Thank you as okay. usual. Good to, good to have you as a host. Right. Well, thanks for calling in, Julie. Uh, thanks for listening, Tellerid listeners and readers. Uh, and uh, that's the show for today. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.